This is AMDG. I'm Mike Jordan-Lasky. After that stressful election season, I'm so excited for today's show, which features one of America's brightest lights. Dr. Jeanette Epps is an aerospace engineer and a NASA astronaut. Earlier this year, it was announced that Jeanette had been chosen for a six-month mission to the International Space Station, which would make her the first black woman to live and work in space for an extended amount of time. Jeanette is also a product of Jesuit education. She graduated from Lemoyne College in Syracuse, New York in 1992, and now serves on the school's board of trustees. We talked last month about life as an astronaut, how she reacted when she found out about her upcoming mission to space, what she values about Lemoyne College, and how the wonders of the universe shape her faith in God. Don't forget to subscribe to AMDG wherever you get podcasts, and thanks for joining us. Jeanette Epps, welcome to AMDG. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. How are you doing? I'm doing well, and um, thanks for having me. Oh, no, we're excited to have you. The first astronaut on AMDG. It's very exciting. Um, how have you been holding up in the, the middle of this craziness? Well, um, since February, um, I've actually been doing pretty well and things um, kind of ramped up. And then, you know, they kind of uh, we're on the backside of a lot of things now. So um, for me, though, things are picking up again since being assigned. So I've been doing pretty well, to be honest. That's good to hear. So. Uh, we're talking now because uh, you made some big news a couple of months ago uh, when it was announced that you have been uh, assigned to the Boeing Starliner 1 mission to the International Space Station, where you're scheduled to live for about six months. I was wondering if you could walk me through the process of learning that news. Does someone just call you up on the phone and say, oh, hey, you're, you're going to space? Like, how does that work? Well, usually what happens is um, in advance, um, our boss, the chief of the astronaut office, kind of has a talk with you and, you know, explain where he wants to put you for an assignment. And that happened probably a year before the official announcement. And so, you know, we had this long discussion and I'm waiting, waiting, waiting. Um, Boeing, they attempted their first uh, unmanned docking to the station last December. It didn't um, dock to station, so they had a little bit more work to do. So announcements were delayed. We did get um, SpaceX up and the first crewed mission successfully. Um, they're back home and they're doing well. And so the next few um, years, I should say, we should start seeing all these different, um, we should see more Dragon, more um, Boeing, a lot more Boeing and um, Boeing's doing so well that they're gonna do another unmanned test. They're gonna do a crewed flight test and then I'll be on the first operational Boeing Starliner to station. So how does that feel? You've been an astronaut for, you know, over a decade now. Yes. Uh, to have that news, that just what goes through your mind and heart when you, when you know that's coming? Well, you know, I had been assigned to the Soyuz, which is the Russian shuttle. And um, that was exciting because um, you go through all of that training with the Russians and with your colleagues. And then you see your colleagues launch. And it's very um, emotional to see people that you know rocketing into space. And so um, anytime you're assigned a mission, it's very exciting. I mean, you get the news and you're excited and nervous all at the same time because you're gonna be the responsible person for that mission, you and your crew. So it's a very exciting news. And you know, doing all the training with the Russians was a good setup for this mission. 
because um, now nothing seems so um, un unfamiliar, I should say. Um, everything seems like it's old hat. I got to go through the motions, make sure I'm doing the work. And, um, you know, being that responsible person for the crew, taking care of the station and helping to take care of my crew. Right. Just for listeners who, who aren't aware, you had been scheduled to to travel to space on a mission two years ago and didn't end up working out. Yeah. Uh, so did all that prep. And, but now uh, kind of gearing back up. So have you started preparation for, for this mission? What does that entail? So I have started. It's been um, it's been quick. Um, last Friday, I did a uh, centrifuge test and that test only lasted about 15 minutes. But during the um, centrifuge um, experience, you ramp up to 3.5 G's and you stay there for about 90 seconds. And because the um, force vector is going through your chest, you feel like a house is actually sitting on your chest. And then they bring you back down after the 90 seconds and then they ramp you back up to 4.5. And so you stay there for another 90 seconds and you feel like you have a house in your chest again. And so you have to forcefully breathe through these um, experiences. So that was the first test. That was last Friday at um, Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. And then um, this past week, um, we had to go out and do a suit check. So I finally got fitted for a suit um, for the Boeing. And that was quite exciting because um, I really like this new suit. Um, I can't tell you much about it, but it is a great suit. And um, I kind of feel I'm lucky that I think it actually fits me well. <laughs> so, so we'll see how comfortable it is when we uh, fly in it though. So do you, do you know what you'll be working on when you're in space? Like, do you have a sign? Like, how does that work? Like, how is the, your agenda set for you? So what ends up happening is we have a number of experiments that um, people want to put on the station. And so for each mission, things become allocated. And so as we get closer and closer to the mission, we'll, we'll know more about what we're gonna do. But in the meantime, we practice um, a lot of things. We practice mostly the maintenance that we would do for the space station. The space station itself is a huge experiment floating laboratory that has been so successful for over 20 years now. So that's kind of the, the cool thing that we get to work on is fixing the space station. But experiments we may have, we may have to work on experiments with mice. We may have to do something with um, DNA, stem cells, um, we may have some materials experiments because materials in space, um, they degrade because of the, um, the uh, space environment. It could be ultraviolet radiation. It could be in the oxygen um, that degrades the material. So we do a lot of um, experiments. And a lot of the experiments that we're gonna start doing um, likely will be for getting us to the moon. So, you know, one of the big things we have is how do you get the human body to um, be sustained outside of the Earth's protection. So we may have more experiments on the human body. Um, so th there's going to be a number of things that we potentially can dabble in while we're up there and be the hands and eyes for all the scientists here on Earth. Wow. So as you know, I mentioned, you've been an astronaut for a long time now. There's a lot of work that you're doing. Again, for me, it's, oh, an astronaut, they're in space. And then when they're back on Earth, then I don't, you know, I don't see that in the news as much, like kind of what you're doing day to day. But a lot of it is, I guess, pre you know, preparing, kind of waiting. So like, what goes into like, how do you keep yourself centered, focused on what you're supposed to be doing? I just can imagine that it would be like, require like a lot of kind of spiritual discipline to stay like. <laughs> yeah, it does. Yeah. It, it really does. Um, well, the cool thing though, is that um, in our jobs, we get to do a lot of things that we wouldn't normally get to do 
outside of having this job. Like I'm a scientist, um, you know, I worked in labs and things like that. I'm not a fighter pilot, but one of the things that I get to do is fly in the backseat of the T-38. And so I get to fly with the fighter pilots and um, we can do that as regularly as we can if our schedule permits. And if we have the jets available, we can fly um, quite a bit. And, you know, flying the jets is actually training for us as well. I mean, we practice a lot of the things that we need for flying in space, like robotics, talking air traffic control is like mission control. So we, we get a lot out of flying the T-38. Um, one of the things I have to do this weekend, which is um, a part of the job is work in mission control as the CAPCOM. The CAPCOM is the capsule communicator. This goes back to um, um, Apollo era, maybe I think before that actually. And so I'm the person that talks to the crew and talks them through procedures. And I'm the only person that can talk to them. You have all these experts in the room, but can you imagine if having all those people talk to the crew at once? Yeah, it would be very confusing, right? And so what happens is we have a flight director who is the, the king or queen of the room and they are the director and they get to say, um, tell the, question the experts and make sure we tell the crew correct things. And then the flight director looks at me and say, okay, you can tell the crew that. And so this weekend, the crew is gonna capture one of the logistics vehicles, the Cygnus. Um, and so this one is actually named after um, Kalpana Chala, uh, one of the um, Indian astronauts who um, actually perished in the Columbia accident. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of an honor um, to, um, to work on this and help the crew um, capture the logistics vehicle with the robotic arm and dock it to station. So it's gonna be a pretty interesting time this weekend. So sure. we do things like that and um, doing things like that actually helps you stay in the mission and you're kind of seeing what other people are doing, you're helping them um, do these things and you definitely wanna be the person on orbit next time. Yeah, I've watched some of those you know, launches or other things on, on the internet and they have the audio and you just, the amount of information and just, all kinds of things be a lot to to process to have that in your ear and then be able to kind of filter out what really just needs to go to uh, the people who are kind of responsible for making it happen uh, in space. So yeah, that should be just a fascinating experience, uh, I'm sure. Uh, I did do want to ask you about uh, some of the the news stories about the uh, announcement that you'd be joining this crew. Is that you mentioned you would be the first Black woman to live in space for that amount of time? Uh, so have you spent time like, reflecting on that? Like, what does that fact mean to you? Well, um, it's, um, it's, it's something that I'm, I'm honored to, to do, but it's also kind of a shame that I'm the first person to do this. So um, NASA is great at fixing things and making things right. And so that's kind of why I'm kind of honored that they would let me be the person to do this. Um, there's um, a lot of other women who could easily do this job and would love to do it, but I'm, I'm the lucky one that gets to do it. Um, I do not um, like being the first because you're the responsible <laughs> one. And there's a lot of um, other stuff that comes along with that, being the first anything. But, you know, I think um, it is a shame that we're, we're just getting to this, but, you know, at some point we'll just all be astronauts going to the space station. We all do the same work. We all have the same requirements, you know, but some are fighter pilots, some are scientists, but we can all come together and be a team, do the same work to get to the um, space station or the moon or Mars. And so at some point in time, we'll get rid of these first and, you know, the, the designator, because I'm not actually a black astronaut. I'm just an astronaut. Sure. And 
So that's um that's how hopefully in the future we can get to that point. Right. I mean, again, what you say just underscores for me thinking about, you know, what you watch like a movie like Apollo 13. It's just like a bunch of white dudes. Right. And then we had uh, the Hidden Figures movie that like really raised awareness of, you know, like that's not the the entire story. But it does seem like it you know has science in general, like kind of STEM careers or, you know, aerospace, something that has like not necessarily been. Hey, and I'm working for the Catholic Church, so I know a little bit about this, <laughs> like a, a field that's necessarily like the most open uh, to women. Um, yeah. So. Do you, have you felt that in your career? Do you feel like what? Yeah. What, what has been your, your experience been like? Go. Well, yeah, I definitely feel that, in it, especially in science, because um, I, I don't think my sister and I, we thought we were doing anything um, unusual by going to school for these things and wanting to do these things. It is um, people have reminded us that we're different and that we did something odd. Um, we don't feel that way, but um, it is the reality of the situation, though. And, um, you know, one of the things is that um, Janet and I, we never even really thought about being the brown girls doing conventionally male things or going into science or earning PhDs or anything like that. Um, and I, I want little girls to get back to that. I want them to think, well, this is, of course, this is what we all do. This is what we as human beings do. And so it's a shame that that is actually the reality of the situation is that, um, uh, you know, the population is 50% women. And then, you know, you have even less population of black women. And so um, we do all need to come together. Um, and when people think of diversity, it's not just race and gender, but you need diversity of experiences, of thoughts, and just different ideas to kind of get to a really good solution. And hopefully we'll get to that point. Um, we have a lot of work to do, but having open discussions like this is very, very important. Um, a friend of mine from South Africa taught me that many years ago in graduate school and just being open and having honest um, conversations. You talked about your sister. So she also has a, a background in science. Do, does your interest in aerospace and maybe one day being an astronaut go back to, to childhood with, with your sister? Just what, what is that? What are those family roots? Well, it's funny because neither of our parents are engineers or scientists. In fact, um, neither of them went to college. And so um, uh, Janet, we both went to Lemoyne College. Um, Janet was there for um, biology and chemistry. And then she subsequently went on to graduate school and she earned a PhD in molecular cell biology. And she now works for the um, Patent and Trademark Office. And she's been there since 1998. So um, yeah, she really enjoys that. She thought she would be there for a few years and then go on to academics, but she's been there since 1998. <laughs> so as a, as a kid, did you, were you like ever thought like, hey, maybe I could go to space someday? Like where, where's their interest? <laughs> well, it's funny because I always tell the story of my older brother, Michael, who was at school at um, Rochester Institute of Technology. And um, he came home from college one, one time when Gina and I, we got our report cards, you know, we're in, way back when you got report cards and you had your grades on there, it's like A, B's or C's or D's or, you know, whatever's on there. Well, he looks at our, our report cards and goes, wow, you guys are doing so well in math and science. Um, maybe you can go to school for aerospace engineering or become an astronaut. And um, this was at the time that Sally Ride and all these new women had been selected. And, um, you know, maybe that's why Gina and I never thought we were doing anything weird. But, you know, I thought to myself, they'll never pick me to be an astronaut, but I can be an aerospace engineer. And so I ended up at um, Lemoyne because my mom didn't want Janet and I to go off to college. But Lemoyne had a great 3-2 program where I would major in physics for three years and then go on to an engineering school. 
And so um, it kind of worked out that I ended up staying at Lemoyne for the four years in physics and then going on to graduate school. So in these these years since you have you applied and were go through all the the training of the academy of, of to be an astronaut like what what is something that has really surprised you when people ask like what's something we might not know from just seeing headlines or like seeing movies or whatever like what about the life of an astronaut has surprised you the most well i mean it's um i guess it's, it's the normal life um the, the cool thing is that we do get to do some things that you you wouldn't normally get to do um i think the thing that has surprised me the most was um you know, the different people that I get to come in contact with and um, the things that I get to learn. Um, everyone in the Corps are um, stellar in their own right and they've done some wonderful things. And um, we hang out together and we talk to each other and it's, it's kind of cool to get to know, especially, uh, you know, like the new class that has come in, um, talking with one of the new people like Zena, um, very interesting young lady. She's um, you know, she did a lot of stuff in caves. So we, and I did this caves experiment last year in Slovenia. And so just, um, I like the personalities of certain people and, and that has um, been one of the best things for me. You know, on top of learning to fly jets and do spacewalks, you know, that's kind of cool, but I, I like people too. Sure. So you mentioned Lemoyne and that's a big reason why we invited you on your uh, Lemoyne grad, a Lemoyne trustee. Uh, so since we are a Jesuit podcast, I'd love to talk more about space, but we only have a few more minutes. And so I got to ask you about Lemoyne. So your Jesuit education, how did that shape you? How did that do you, what do you draw on? What do you remember fondly from that time? How did that help lead you to where you are today? Well, you know, it's one of those things that hindsight is twenty twenty, And, um, I learned a ton of stuff from Lemoyne that I use later on in life. And, um, you know, some of the big things was like, you know, going to a Jesuit school, a liberal arts school, you're required to do all this English and all this freaking writing. You're like, oh my gosh, I got to do more English classes, philosophy classes, no less. And so, but all of those things kind of help make you a well-rounded scientist. Um, and just, you know, as a scientist, you still have to be able to speak to people. You have to be able to write well. Um, and that's one of the things that I noticed when I went to work for the CIA um, being able to write without many um, grammatical corrections uh, is, is huge. <laughs> and um, I do attribute that to Lemoyne and then, you know, going on to graduate school and having to write papers and things like that. But having a good foundation and all of those things was crucial. So um, being able to talk about different things as well, you know, philosophy, um, religion, um, just a number of different topics help you um, I think, become a more well-rounded person and you're a better writer and thinker for it. I know that the, the motto that Lemoyne uses is greatness meets goodness. And I interviewed Dr. Anthony Fauci, a similar person, a scientist with a liberal arts background. Mean, he studied classics as an undergrad at Holy Cross in, in Worcester uh, and talked about, but like that, that work and his time that helped make him like a better person that like maybe you know, he did the science work, but that it was important for him to be a humanitarian and that a lot of those values he got from uh, the Jesuits. Do you feel kind of similarly also in public service? And yeah. And I would say um, what's interesting for me though, is that I, you know, while I was there, I was always ready to leave. And I think as I've gotten older and um, understanding the values, especially with Dr. Lamura at um, Lemoyne, and the people there and how much, um, oh my gosh, these are some of the most lovely people I have ever met and the desire to help the community and make the world a better place. And um, 
you know, the St. Ignatius um, a comment that I love to quote is, I'm finding God in all things. And so um, that, just thinking about those things and how to interact with people in the world, especially um, with all the different people. I mean, I've been to Kazakhstan, Mongolia, Russia, UAE, across the board, you meet so many different people. And, um, you know, finding the value in everyone and every, you know, every experience that you have and finding that one nugget where you see God in it is, um, has been tremendous for me. And um, I do love the fact that um, Lemoyne is producing students with that mentality where they're gonna go off and they're gonna do great things, but they're also gonna do good things. So that's, um, that's one of the reasons I'm, I'm kind of proud to be on the board. I don't get to spend as much time as I would like with the students, but um, I just see the good that they're going to do in the world, and you know, to be a part of it and have a have just a slight hand, even near it, and be a just know that it's happening is um, very important, especially going off to space and things like that, and being able to um, look back and um, and tell the students some things, and hopefully they can take that on into their career or maybe become astronauts as well, and know that these are good people that they have um, others' interests at heart and not just their own. Sure. I don't know if anyone has told you, but there are more than 30 lunar creators who are named for Jesuits, Jesuit priests, a lot of asteroids. <laughs> so Jesuits have historically, and continue to this day, there's a, they have the Vatican Observatory they run in Tucson. Jesuits have been scientists and astronomers looking you know, to yeah. the heavens and learning more about it, that great tradition there. I think now often, too often, like in the public discourse, like faith and science are kind of put at each other like loggerheads they don't necessarily work together but if you listen to someone like uh, brother guy consomagno who's the astronomer jesuit astronomer talks about no no like they're kind of learning different things they can go together so in your experience do you feel like those things can live together oh definitely because i i tell you the more that i learn the more that um i see that there has to be um some divine organization of everything especially when you look at dna when you look at how much we don't know, um, yeah, there, it, to me, there's, there's um, a point at which we get to where you kind of, I think, especially in science, where you're like, there, there has to be a God. I mean, how could this happen this way? Um, especially looking at DNA and um, getting down to um, just the specifics of the DNA, how similar each human being, no matter what color, no matter what um, you know, um, gender even, you know, we're still very, very similar. And, and this is well organized, well thought out. And to me, it, it's just um, has God's fingerprints all over it. Well, Dr. Jeanette Epps, thank you so much for taking the time to, to talk today. Just all best of luck for you as you continue to prepare. We don't know exactly when you're, will be taken off yet, right? They haven't scheduled it. It was supposed to be next December, but you know, with schedules and launch vehicles, you know, there's slips. And so it could be going to 2022, but uh, hopefully 2021. Okay, excellent. Well, the next time we talk, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to reach out when you're up there and we'll do a, we'll do a, a podcast from space. Uh, that would oh, be awesome. That would be awesome. <laughs> that would be awesome. Well, thank you again. And uh, best of luck to you. You'll be excited to kind of watch the progress and to, for the news of when that that's announced. And uh, yeah. Prayers of us uh, for you and all your colleagues down there in Houston. Thank you so much. And thanks for having me, Mike. I really appreciate it.
AMDG is a production of the Jesuit Conference of Canada and the United States and recorded at our headquarters in Washington, D.C. The show is edited by Marcus Bleach. Our theme music is by Kevin Lasky. The Jesuit Conference communications team is Marcus Bleach, Eric Clayton, Dara Sump, Megan Leapsch, Becky Sindelar, and me, Mike Jordan Lasky. Connect with the Jesuits online at jesuits.org, on Twitter at Jesuit News, Instagram at We Are the Jesuits, and Facebook.com slash Jesuits. If you or someone you know might be called to discern a vocation to the Jesuits, connect with a Jesuit vocation promoter at beajesuit.org. Drop us an email with questions or comments at media at jesuits.org. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as St. Ignatius of Loyola may or may not have said, go and set the world on fire. (laughs) ¶¶